Let's pray. Father, we, um, we know in our minds, theologically, we know that all things are moving to a head when you will return. Jesus, when you will gather your church together and reign on earth and death and darkness and evil will be defeated once and for all. We know, Jesus, that at your name every knee bows and every tongue confesses that you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. We know these things and there are times we struggle to see them clearly. We get too caught up in the world. We get too caught up in the world's values, in the world's definitions. We get too caught up in the here and now and it feels more permanent than eternity. And so Lord, in, in thinking of the Father whose Son you healed, who when you told him, Jesus, that with faith all things are possible, and he said, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, that is our posture this morning. We believe, help our unbelief. Help us to see. Help us to hear. Help us to understand. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Whenever there is a long-term goal whether it be a, a degree or working towards retirement or an ambitious diet, a championship season, or just anything related to parenting, there, there seem to be two general and great challenges. The first is just the hard work of it. It is hard work to do any of those things. It is, it is hard work, but, but those things, those long-term goals are typically worthy things, and I've found that, that as worthy as something can be, that usually means that it's a little more difficult to get to. The second is the ability to wait it out, the ability to stay focused on it, to stay on track. I mean, it's one thing to start a diet and an exercise regimen and to really go at it and say, by, you know, you're not going to get me this year, Christmas. You're not going to get me this year, Thanksgiving. It's, it's one thing to say that and really have a good start. And it's another thing to know that there's a carton of pumpkin ice cream in the grocery store. And, and those are two competing things. And the record's about 500, right? Keeping focus can be just as hard as doing the work itself, the task at hand. Paul's instructions here in Philippians 3, he's, he has talked about rejoicing in the Lord. Last week we talked about Paul's instruction to strain forward, to press on to the upward call of God in Christ. And this week he's moving to stay focused on that upward call. 
Now, I realize that there is a palpable irony that you're about to listen to a sermon from me on the issue of staying focused. I get that. This, this may be a little more of a do what I say, not what I do, although I, I try very hard to stay focused on Christ. But Paul's desire here is that believers not only make a push for grabbing everything they can in Christ, like he, Paul, has, but that they stay on track, that they remember who they are, that they keep their hearts, their minds, and their eyes focused on the upward call of God in Christ. Let's read, starting in verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies to the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, their glory, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So in order to keep your hearts and minds and eyes focused on the upward upward call of God in Christ, Follow those who follow Jesus. Paul says, join in in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk with us. Paul is, in in Philippians 3.1, he he started this section of the letter saying, finally rejoice in the Lord. And then the next section was his testimony of rejoicing in the Lord, that God is greater than all my earthly ambition. God is greater than all my earthly accomplishments. And knowing him is better than that because knowing him does what none of those things ever could. And then he goes into a little bit of the work of that rejoicing. Knowing this about God, press on, strain forward. And the goal here is for more and more rejoicing. Strain forward to the upward call of God in Christ that we may know him not only in his suffering, but also in his resurrection and may attain the resurrection of the dead, verses 10 and 11. That's what we're going for. And here at the end of chapter 3, he tells us, he starts in, just imitate me. In order to get to this rejoicing in the Lord, to know, to press on, to strain forward, imitate me, Paul. Follow my example. Keep your mind right. Paul has told his other churches to follow him as he follows Jesus. Here, it's a bit of follow the leader. Do, I'm at the front of the line. Just do whatever I'm doing. Not in being an apostle, not in performing miracles, not in planting churches, although all those things are great, but but his general approach to following Jesus. 
See, there's, when we talk about these verses of, that Paul writes that deal with imitating him or following him as he follows Jesus, so many times I've heard mature believers be like, this is, I don't want anyone to follow me. I'm a screw-up. And as a younger believer, I've just wanted to say, no, like we need to follow you. Show us how you repent of sin. Show us how you persevere in, in a bad job. Show us how you work through issues in your marriage. Show us how you parent. We want to follow you as you follow Jesus, not because you're perfect, but because the grace of God is evident in your life. Let the grace of God be evident in your life. Remember what Paul said to Timothy? Here's a saying that's trustworthy and true. Christ died for sinners of which I'm the worst. So the very guy that says, follow me as I follow Jesus, says, I'm the worst sinner possible. So let's follow this approach to Jesus. Not that Paul had everything together and was perfect and fully sanctified this side of heaven, but that he knew he wasn't and he relied on the grace of God. Imitate Paul. Rely on the grace of God. Now here's, here's the, the thing about discipleship in the first century that a lot of times we don't get. Rabbis everywhere had disciples. So you remember the Pharisees come and say, our disciples fast, John's disciples fast, your disciples don't fast. Because everyone who was a teacher had disciples. And the goal of the disciple was to, in every way possible, become like the rabbi, become like the teacher. So they'd drink their tea like the teacher. They'd eat their bread like the teacher. They'd have a morning routine just like their teacher. They'd shop in the market like their teacher. They'd talk to people like their teacher. They, they wanted to be able to just repeat the words. They wanted to become their rabbi. And Paul's saying, I'm, I'm on a path. To, I'm, I'm trying to become just like Jesus. I'm being made more and more into his likeness. I'm on a path of Christ's likeness, trying to become as much like Jesus as I possibly can this side of heaven. And so he's not saying, be like Paul. He's saying, be like Paul who's trying to be like Jesus. Because Jesus is at the center of it. Pursue the treasure that is knowing Jesus. He's saying, imitate me in pressing on, forgetting what lies behind, and straining forward. To view the kingdom of God as the sure treasure that far outweighs anything I may have to give up in order to get it, knowing that Christ is better, more life-giving, and joy-producing than public opinion, than any party this world can throw, than any certificate, accommodation, or award, or than any worldly comfort. Join Paul. Imitate Paul in valuing Christ more than anything the world has to offer. But he's not just saying imitate him. He's saying imitate me and imitate others who are like me. Now Paul might have been talking specifically of his cadre of guys, his network where there's Timothy and Silas and, and there's these other planters that he sent out. There's, there's Mark, there's Barnabas, there's these, the other apostles. But these guys, I don't know if you've heard, they died a while ago. They're not around for us to walk, to look at. But by God's grace, we have a lot of examples. You know, we don't just have the example of Jesus, which is great. We don't just have the example of Peter and the disciples and Ananias and Paul. 
We also have examples of Augustine, of G.K. Chesterton, of the Moravian Church, of Jonathan Edwards, Richard Sibbs, Matthew Henry, and the rest of the Puritans, of Hudson Taylor and William Carey. We have examples of C.T. Studd. We have the example of Eric Little, who, who everyone knows from Chariots of Fire, but not everyone knows, served in China and went to extreme lengths, sending his family home, knowing it was too dangerous for them, but continuing to serve in China until he died, running to the finish line of the cross. Examples of Amy Carmichael, of J.I. Packer, of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Examples of Billy Graham and Jerry Bridges, of Jonathan Piper and David Platt. Examples of people who produce who, who, who pursue Christ. People who have counted all this world has to offer as loss for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. And look around you in this church of people who have followed Christ faithfully for years and imitate each other as we imitate Christ. Because those who pursue Christ produce others who pursue Christ. We have a wealth of people who have shared in Paul's desire to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any possible means that they may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let us imitate them to lay hold of Christ, continuing to press on to make him our own who has already made us his own. And I urge you, Find people who have either finished well, that you can read their books, listen to their sermons, study their life, or find people who are on a trajectory to, lead, to end well, on a trajectory of Christ's likeness, and let them help you follow Jesus. Do not follow Jesus alone. And those who are mature, should be doing this from a different standpoint. Instead of seeking those who can help you follow Jesus, look for those who you can help follow Jesus. Be on the lookout. Be praying for God to put people in your path, not because you are perfect, but because you are experienced in God's grace. Let us imitate those who are following Christ and urge others to imitate us as we follow Christ. So keeping our hearts, minds, and eyes focused, we follow those who follow Jesus, and we distance from worldly influences. And I'm just going to suggest here that the distance from worldly influences should be greater than six feet. Listen, as strong as Paul's encouragement or invitation was in verse 17, this is much, much stronger. For many whom I have often told you and now even tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the, of, of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame and with minds set on earthly things. In Paul's writings to Timothy, he warns about false teachers. And I think what Paul is describing here, has a, it, 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 it's in part heresy, 
but he could very well be describing those who have pretty good orthodoxy. It's very possible to have really good doctrine from a cognitive standpoint, from a mental standpoint, and fall headlong into the exact thing that Paul is warning about. A major aspect of what Paul is describing here and something we need to pay close attention to is this. Believer, if someone is going to have a deep influence on you, their character needs to be a major factor. There have been so many times in the history of the church where a very gifted teacher who's good at putting things a certain way, who's, who's really good at public speaking, who has a charismatic personality, is put up too high too soon and their character is not ready for it and their character is not called into question. Remember Paul's warning to Timothy, keep a close watch on your life and your doctrine. Theology really matters. We need to believe good things and right things, but our character matters just as much. Look out, be on the lookout for people who are flashy and appealing. People who do not have a high enough view of Christ and Scripture. People who view Jesus as a means to the end. Not as Lord of all creation. People who make too much end of this world, whose end is destruction because they make too big of a deal out of the earthly things. People who are self-glorifying, their God is their belly, their glory is, they glory in their shame. They constantly promote themselves. I heard someone say a good way to know if a, Christian, a book in a Christian bookstore is heresy is if the author puts their own picture on the cover. Now if it's a biography about someone and they put the picture on, that, there's, there's some wiggle room there. Um, Look out for people who are self-glorifying. In short, these people are unwilling to really take up their cross and follow Jesus. They, they, They do what really looks like following Jesus as long as it's good for them. They can only see either out of lack of lack of or refusal of faith, they can only see the earthly pros and cons instead of seeing the heavenly pros and cons that outweigh the earthly pros and cons to a greater degree than an elephant does a mouse. But we need to not only look out for this in others, we need to look out for this in our own lives. Where am I a little too self-glorifying? Where am I unwilling to take up my cross and follow Jesus? Commentators said this, Today the professed Christian whose own physical and personal needs come before the Lord, whose bodily comforts, which he defines as what and where he eats, how and where he loves, what he spends to satisfy his own pleasure. So the person whose bodily comforts displace the cross have better take note because his God is his belly. Beware of any pleasure that impedes the passionate pursuit of Christ. John Piper says that believers have what's called a sacred schizophrenia. 
that we have two competing identities within us. One that pursues the world and the worldly pleasures and the earthly things and, is, and can't get enough of it. And the other, who is pointed towards the upward call of God in Christ, And we all have this battle in us. And so we need to do hard work to make sure we don't fall into earthly mindedness. And here's what that hard work looks like. Know who is discipling you. Every one of you is being discipled by someone or something. Know who is discipling you. Evaluate the source of your discipleship. Who's influencing your thought? Who are you, whether it's, it's turning on a podcast, reading, listening to, to a message of some kind, on a, whether it's a sermon or, or, or someone telling you how to view the world, whether it's what you watch, you are being discipled. And the world needs Christians who are discipled by Christ and Scripture and not discipled by entertainment, politics, and news. And there's a battle going on for your heart in who's going to disciple you. Are you going to be discipled by the God of heaven through his people, through his son, through his word? Or are you going to be discipled by the world in its various flashy forms? You need to evaluate the source of who's discipling you. And as you evaluate them, I would encourage you to use Galatians 5 as a litmus test, where Paul talks about the fruits of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And as you look at the source of who's discipling you, who's telling you how to think, who's telling you how to really view what's going on, look at their life. Is their life marked by the fruit of the Spirit or the fruit of the, or the fruit of the flesh? Is their life marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Or is their life marked with anger and bitterness and jealousy and deception and sexual immorality and drunkenness? And then look at the impact of their teaching on you. Does the impact of their teaching on you produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Or does it bring about bitterness and envy and anger and strife and malice and a lower view of people made in God's likeness than the Bible tells you to have? Does this one or ones who are discipling you do they help you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do they help you love your neighbor as yourself? Does it over-centralize a person other than Jesus? Does it over-centralize a hope or solution other than Jesus? I remember a few years ago during political debates, and this has happened a couple times, two that I can think of, over my lifetime, where a presidential candidate or someone trying to become one has referred to America and Americans as the salt of the earth. That's a false discipleship. The salt of the earth is those who follow Jesus. And as believers, 
I want us to guard closely the words of Christ. To not fall into a narrative that something other than Jesus Himself is the hope of the world. Too many Christians are discipled by entertainment. Watching without thinking whatever Netflix suggests. Too many Christians are discipled by political bias. Confusing and assimilating a political worldview with a biblical worldview. Too many Christians are discipled by editorial news that's more concerned with a spin than actual facts. Written by people who are earthly minded. Be discipled by people who are passionately pursuing the upward God of call in Christ. Do not give in to the earthly mindedness. And finally, we keep our hearts, minds, and eyes focused by honoring the homeland. Honor your homeland. As believe, listen to this, our citizenship is in heaven. He's just talked about those who set their minds on earthly things. And instead of setting your mind on earthly things, know that your citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. As believers in this world, we are too often like grandchildren of first-generation immigrants who have forgotten where they're from. I've seen this battle play out a lot of time with, with, with immigrant friends of mine, where the first generation is very much, like you just look at them, you look at how they dress, you listen to how they talk, you, you eat with them and you see the foods they like, and it's everything they do, whether it's how they dress, how they talk, how they view the world, what they eat, it just goes back to wherever it is that they're from. The second generation gets really concerned with, I just want to fit in with where I'm at. So maybe they don't want to talk in the, the language of their parents. Maybe they try and drop an accent. Maybe they just want to, like, look, I'm all in on, on McDonald's because that's what Americans are supposed to do, which is a lie if you think that. I just want to help you out of that deception. Um, and then by the time it gets to the third, fourth generation, the homeland is kind of talked about, but it's forgotten. And that person is no more wherever it is than they're from than, you know, I mean, I'm Irish, but I don't eat haggis. Know where you are from. And knowing where you're from, be homesick. Be homesick. I... We have a lot of immigrants here because of the, just the makeup of our country because a lot of people want to live here. I have yet to talk to a, you know, a couple of years ago we were up at Engage Global. We went to a Somali market. And I was talking to this Somali woman. And I'm like, obviously they came to Minneapolis because the weather is just, just like that of Somalia. Like that's got to be it, right? I remember talking to her and I just said, do you miss home? And she goes, oh, I wish I could go back. In a, she, I'd go back in a heartbeat if I could. We're homesick. I was talking to a, a young gal this week from Iraq. 
She said, I'm going back next year. She hasn't been back since she was like 12. She's like, I can't wait to get back. Let's be homesick for heaven. It's where you belong. You, right now, believer, you're out of place. You're a citizen of heaven, first and foremost. And so be above the world, because you are. The things of this world are below you. Be above the conspiracy theories. Be above the polarized compartments that don't fit the children of God. Be above earthly fear. Don't think too much of the earthly treasures that moth and rust destroy and that thieves can break in and steal. Instead, grow your longing from home. Be discontent with the world because the treasure of the world pales in comparison to the treasure that awaits you. And it's easy, like Paul talks about our lowly bodies being transformed. It's really easy for me to be discontent with what I have right here. Knowing that I'm going to get a new body like that of the resurrected Christ. That he's going to finish that work in me that he began in my heart and it's going to be seen on the outward appearances. Be discontent. Be homesick. View the things around you and not as someone whose only home is here, but as someone who's only here for a little while and then will be in heaven for eternity. Live differently. Have a different ambition and, desire, and, and, and different meaning of success. That our ambition would be that of God's, that people would know his name and come to him. That our success would be when our heavenly father says, well done, good and faithful servant. That a successful day isn't making a lot of money, but feeding the hungry. Have a different meaning of security. Let your view of security be theological, not earthly. Remember Mitt Romney debating Obama and Mitt Romney saying that America was the hope of the world. What a sad reality that would be. I mean, I love our country. But if we were the hope of the world, how sad would that be? Jesus is the hope of the world. And as a heavenly citizen, I won't stand for any other statement than that. Let us have a different love, not born of transaction and what can you do for me or what have you done for me lately, but born of Christ who died for us while we were still sinners. And so that loving our enemy becomes the natural thing to do because it's what God did for us. Let us view everyone around us, no matter what camp or tribe they fall into, as someone who's made in God's likeness and whose only hope is repentance of sin and new life in Christ. Let us live with a heavenly hope, knowing that from heaven Christ will return and he'll transform our bodies to be like his body. And by what power will he do that? The same power that he's able to subject all things to himself. The same power that we see in Psalm 2 where the nations are the footstool of the throne of God. 
Let us have that hope that our God is doing that, that our God is going to come back, that Jesus is going to reconcile all things, that Jesus will hold all things accountable. And then Paul gives this application in 4.1. This is going to bleed over to next week. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I mean, the the dripping of Paul's affection for this church is, is undeniable. But the instruction is stand firm thus in the Lord. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior who will transform our bodies by the same power that he's even able to subject all things to himself. So transforming this body into something glorious is going to be easy for him. So I should stand firm in the Lord, not losing track, not giving up, not giving in to the earthly pleasures and the earthly treasures, but stand firm and focus, knowing my citizenship is in heaven. And viewing things not as a citizen of the United States, not as a citizen of pick your country, not as a citizen of earth, but viewing things as a citizen of heaven, first and foremost. One day there was a farmer, and that farmer had two different workers in two different fields. They were both hay fields full of square bales that needed to be put up on on the wagons and taken to to the loft to be thrown in and stored. And the farmer told the worker in each field, I'll be by at around 4.30 in the afternoon to pick you up. So just work, work until 4.30 Keep going, you know, work till 4.30, get as much done as you can. The farmer in the first field worked, hot day, sunny, humid, buggy. And they worked and they worked and it got to about 4 o'clock and they thought, oh, almost here. And it got to 4.15 and they thought, you know what, they're going to be here in 15 minutes. There's not much more I can do. I'm exhausted. I'm just going to sit. I'm just going to wait here. And the other worker just kept going and going and every now and then checked the watch. Okay, it's getting close. How much can I get done? How much can I get done? Well, the farmer was delayed. Something came up. farmer couldn't get to either one until about 5. He found one field half done with a worker sleeping on the tractor and the other field finished and ready to move on. Because the second worker was focused. My boss is coming back. This work is going to be done eventually and I'm just going to keep going until my boss comes back. We are citizens of heaven. And we can't wait for our Savior to get back. And I don't know how many times the church has been certain that it's happening tomorrow. 
I don't know how many times that's happened. But I do know this. God is really patient. He's patient so none should perish. And so we need to just keep working. And let's not get distracted by the earthly mindedness. Let's not get caught up in the world's arguments. Let's know that our citizenship is in heaven and we're waiting for our Savior. When he comes back, he's going to give us a new body, he's going to make all things new, and everything is subject to him. While we press on, let's keep waiting and let's stay focused on the upward upward call of God in Christ. Let's pray. Father, pray that you would help us to wait well. That you would help us to stay focused on you. You give us eyes to see, hearts to believe, ears to hear, minds to perceive what you have put before us. And Lord, as as co-heirs of Christ, I pray that you would give us that insatiable desire that Paul had to know you and press on and strain forward. And let us do so not as people who are trying to earn something, but people who are already citizens of heaven, living as citizens of heaven in a fallen world. Help us, O God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.